Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Luke chapter 6, let's read this for context and we'll pray. Picking up verse 27, Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning, and as we begin to look at this passage, I pray that you would speak to our hearts very clearly. Uh, Lord, we live in a time where this teaching has almost become foreign to us in our thinking, and I pray, Lord, that you would give us your heart and help us to, to respond in this world in which we live in the way you would respond. Jesus, I know that our own ability to do that is is lacking, but I know, Father, that you've given us your spirit so that we can walk these things out. You've given us your heart that's beating within us. Let us let us know your heart, Lord. Reveal that to us today. Of course, in Jesus' name we prayed. God's people prayed. Amen. We might go a little bit further in this passage. We'll see how far we get this morning. I was hoping to bring these two together, but I got to tell you, since we've especially gotten into the Beatitudes, and, and we're still kind of dealing with that, Jesus is now off on these kingdom teachings, you know, just the kingdom mentality, not the kingdom being on earth yet. It's not, but the idea of how we as believers need to begin to think as kingdom people. You know, our citizenship is in God's kingdom. It's not even of this world. This world has its ways of doing things. God has his way of doing things. Uh, far too often we're more prone to, to kind of do things the way the world does, and it shouldn't reflect what we do or how we are. And so anyways, as we've gotten into this discussion on the Beatitudes and, and these kingdom principles, uh, I, you know, we've really slowed down, and, and I don't want to race through them because there's just so much here. I know we're going to get to the parables and we'll move fairly quickly again, but, you know, there's just so much for us to grasp on this. So last week we began looking here when he says, but I say to you who hear, and I talked to you guys at the end of the message last week about what hearing really is. You know, the idea Jesus has in mind isn't that you just hear the words, but that you'd understand the words, that you'd have a heart that's receptive to the words, that you'd have a heart that's willing to obey ultimately so that you can understand what it is that, that he's trying to speak. But he says here in verse 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. 
To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Boy, I don't know about you, but is this ever a timely word for us in in this anger-driven, hate-filled period of human history in which we live? I mean, it just is. This is a time where hatred between people, especially in our own nation. I mean, boy, you know, I used to think about the world. Now it's like everything is just, we're seeing so much in our own country, but, you know, it just seems to be growing like never before. And, and, and it's a time where we've become so quick to be offended by people and, and to classify people, even though we don't say it directly, but we in our minds, classify them as our enemies. And quite frankly, more and more, we're starting to call people the enemy, you know, and and to seek ways to get back at them. You know, I heard a leading senator say several weeks ago when, when killing a piece of legislation that those in the opposite party are getting paid back what they deserve. And my head just spun on that. It had nothing to do with whether I thought the legislation was good or bad. The problem was that wasn't even what was being considered. All that seemed to be considered is it doesn't matter whether it's good or bad. You're getting back what you deserve. And that's the way people are thinking. It's it's a reflection of the way people in our country are dealing with others on a daily basis anymore. And it's all about payback. You know, it's all about payback. It's all about giving back to people what they've dished out to us. It's all about revenge. It's all about unforgiveness and unkindness. And and what's even worse, and, and this is what grieves me, is that what's even worse is that it's Christians, too, that are engaging in this kind of thinking and responding. Shouldn't be. And so this is a timely message for our world today, but it was also a timely word for those who Jesus was speaking to in his day. And to them, he's simply saying, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. If he strikes you on one cheek, offer him the other one also. If he takes away your your cloak, give him your tunic too. Give to him if he asks of you. And if he steals from you, well, just let him have it. Just let him have it. No, not let him have it, right? Just let him have it. Now, this was, and it still is, an incredibly foreign concept to the human way of thinking and and responding. As human beings, we generally, we think and respond in opposite ways, right? I mean, think about this. We think in terms of hate your enemies, right? Hate your enemies. You know, I, I, went to college when after I enlisted in the Army and, and I got out and I went to, to college. I didn't know I was going to go back in the Army. But the first year while I was there, I only had three years to do because I finished a year while I was in the Army. And so I had three years. I came in as a sophomore. And uh, I, I attended a college that was uh, really, you know, we have a lot of peace communities around here with the Anabaptists. And this was right in the middle of Amish country. I mean, it was right, I was at Kutztown State. At that time, it was Kutztown State College. Now it's a university. But it was right in the heart. You'd hear the buggies go through at night. And and that kind of Anabaptist thinking had in, embraced everything on the campus. It was just kind of there. And I got involved in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And uh, along the way, I had decided in that first year that I wanted to go over and play around with ROTC and see if it was something I was interested in. And I liked it. And I was on my way to becoming an officer. And I contracted with them to become a cadet. 
And it, it was interesting because as I was even in our varsity Christian fellowship, they wanted to bring me on it onto their, basically what they call their exec committee on, on campus, the leadership committee. And they had a huge debate over it. They didn't know if they could do it because I was considering going in the army. And in their mind, that's hatred and murder and killing and everything else. And, and I really had to come to terms with it. And I think what I came to terms in this is that, yes, I, I, I would have done what I needed to do in the military to, to defend our nation. And yes, we classify those that were a threat to our nation as our enemies. But, but I had always purposed in my heart that I would never hate them, that I would never hate them, that what I would do would not be out of hatred, but would be done out of duty and obligation. And so, you know, but that's not how we're even thinking. We're not even parsing that anymore. Now it's all about if it's an enemy, you got to hate them. You got to hate them. If it's your neighbor that believes something you don't believe, you got to hate them, especially if they're flaunting it in front of you. You got to hate them. That's how the world is right now. Don't, the world says, don't do good to those who hate you. Pay them back in kind. Pay them back in kind. Curse those who curse you. Don't give a thought in prayer to those who spitefully use or mistreat you. In fact, pray against them. Pray against them. If they strike you on the cheek, punch them in the mouth, you know? If they take away your cloak or steal anything from you, go deal with them and get justice for yourself. Take something from them that matters to them. If your enemy asks something from you, don't give them the time of day. After all, they've done nothing for you except make your life miserable. You owe them nothing. That's the way the world thinks. This is how human beings tend to think and respond. And I'm not saying that there aren't exceptions, but the exceptions tend to be just that, exceptions. If you don't believe me, just look at everything we're seeing. Again, in our own society today, we're seeing a cold-heartedness. That, then that's the best way to describe it. We're seeing a cold-heartedness that, that, that is just gripping like we've never seen before. And, and again, I'm not just talking about cold-heartedness on the part of unbelievers you know, I'm talking about a cold-heartedness on the part of believers towards those that they disagree with or see as their enemies. You know, look at the attitude being reflected even towards those who, you know, and I'll just pick this because it's the most in front of us, but the attitude even amongst Christians towards those who are engaging in these massive protests around the country over various things. Now, I don't agree with everything that everyone is protesting about, and I certainly don't condone some of the unlawful behaviors that some of them are engaging in, but I do not see them as my enemies. I don't see them. They may see me as theirs, but I choose not to see them as my enemies. I believe more than anything that this reflects the reality when you think about that cold-heartedness where that's all we see is, is what they do, and they're just destroying us, and they're destroying me, and I hate them. We're seeing the cold-heartedness that reflected, that's reflected in Jesus' words that he spoke about the last days in Matthew 24 and verse 12. Here's what he said, Matthew 24 and verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Now, we always assume that the love that will grow cold is, is the love of those who are engaging in the lawless acts, their lawless acts revealing their cold-heartedness, right? And that may be true, but it could also be that he's saying that because of the lawlessness and the lawless activities that people are engaging in, that the love of his own people, that the love of Christians for people will grow cold and colder and colder. 
Think about that, because that seems to be what's happening right now. The love of many in the church has grown cold for people in the world around them. In our world today and in our thinking, it's all about getting even, getting that pound of flesh, getting what's due us for the wrongs that we feel others have committed against us, or at least that, they, that they're doing that are affecting us. Very little grace anymore. Very little mercy anymore. Even in our own view of the Bible, we resonate more with the imprecatory psalms. You know what I mean by the imprecatory psalms? David loved to pray those against his enemies, right? We've been going through those in our Wednesday night on some of them when we come to them. But, you know, we relate to those more than we really do the mercy and grace communicated by Jesus in the gospel itself. Oh, that we want mercy and grace toward us, right? It's how we want to be treated, but we're not as quick to want it or to show it to that other guy or that other gal who so offended us or wronged us or has mistreated us in some way. They don't deserve mercy. They don't deserve the grace like we do. They'd only deserve justice, God's and ours, to come hammering down on them. And even our speech, the way we talk about people anymore, has become a blunt instrument, a weapon in a lot of cases of mass destruction. You know, it really is that on, on social media. It's become a weapon of mass destruction that we use to destroy our enemies. But why not? After all, they deserve every ounce of what we're dishing out upon them because of what they've done to us, because of how they've treated us, because of how they've talked about us. You know, I was in a conversation with someone on, on social media, and the guy made a great Ill, uh, thing. He said, I don't know if it's just me. He said, but is anybody else bothered by hearing people call people of a liberal bent libtards. I wrote right on there and said, yeah, I'm bugged by that. You know, it doesn't mean I agree with what they believe. I'm diametrically opposed to what they believe. But why do I need to make it personal? And that's exactly what we do. And of course, immediately somebody jumped in and said, well, they say that about us. You see, that's a deflecting argument. That's a deflecting argument, right? And Jesus is making the case here, if you think about it, it doesn't matter what they've done. It isn't reciprocality. We, we, is that a word, reciprocality? I make up lots of words on a Sunday morning, just so you know that. But, you know, it's not about just reciprocally responding just because they did it. They'll be judged for that. God will deal with them for that. What should our response be? Our response needs to be in line with what Jesus thinks and how he would respond. But, but again, all of what I'm talking about here is nothing new. It's just reaching new levels in our society. But this was going on in Jesus' day, too. Even the religionists were, were teaching the people that payback was of the Lord. You know, what they would do in Matthew's gospel, Jesus addressing this same issue pointed something out that's not recorded here in Luke's account, but it's reflected in Matthew's. And it's a perspective that people held and were even being taught by the religious leaders. And here it is. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 and 39. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, the idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth was one of the oldest known principles or laws that existed in society of the day. It was also known uh, in its formal name as the Lex Talionis, or, or the law of retaliation, or the law, we would call it the law of tit for tat, right? And it was very common to secular ways of thinking and to secular laws. For example, it was part of, of what was known as the Code of Hammurabi. 
Now, the Code of Hammurabi was well, a well-preserved Babylonian code of law of ancient Mesopotamia dated to about 1754 B.C., and it was instituted by the sixth Babylonian king, Hammurabi. But it was also a law that was reflected in the religious laws which God gave to Israel, but never, never, never with the same intent as it was being given in secular circles as one of justifiable retribution, of a getting even kind of concept. However, the religious leaders of Israel it did not follow that same intent. You see, they didn't follow God's intent. What they did is they pointed to the Old Testament passages where it was reflected, and they made a case for personal retribution being permissible by God in his laws. For example, they pointed to passages like some of these, Exodus 21, verses 23 and 25. Exodus 21, verse 23. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Well, that sure sounds like Lex Talionis, doesn't it? It sounds like retribution. It sounds like fair payback. They tell them you can. Leviticus 24, verses 19 through 20. Leviticus 24, verse 19, if a man causes disfigurement of his neighbor, as he has done, so shall it be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. Seems clear. Religious teachers would say, you got a right. Your, your neighbor broke your arm. Go back over. Break his. You got a right. God says it's okay. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 21 Deuteronomy 19, verse 21, your eye shall not pity, life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. You see, the religious leaders of Israel taught the people that in these passages, that God was giving them the right to extract revenge, to get even, to do things to others that others had coming to them because of what they had done to them. So we have to ask the question, what's going on here? You know, what's, what's going on here? Did God make provision for personal vengeance and retribution? And if so, is Jesus now contradicting the law? Is he changing the law? Is he reversing God's law? Is he nullifying the law? Now, those who were not hearing, as Jesus began, those who were not hearing would have suggested that he was contradicting God and nullifying his word. But that's because they weren't hearing. They were not hearing with ears and hearts that wanted to understand and obey. To get what's happening, you have to understand what God always intended this law to be about. You have to understand what it is and what it is not. It, it, it was not, let's start there, it was not, as many had taken it or taught it to be, a cruel, merciless, or bloodthirsty provision for individual retribution and revenge. I emphasize that word individual. It was never intended to be taken as a green light from, for God's people to extract revenge or to go get even with those who had, who had offended them or wronged them. But rather, it was simply a provision that God placed in the law to protect people, to protect them. Protecting them in three ways. First of all, it protected people by limiting retribution. It limited the retribution that could be extracted upon people for things. It was an eye for an eye, not a head for an eye, right? Not a head for an eye, it was thumb for a thumb. It wasn't a leg for a thumb. 
It, it limited retribution because man's idea of justice always goes to the extreme. It's what we do. We run to the extreme because justice from man's perspective is driven most often by flesh and emotion. And, 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 and whenever flesh and emotion's involved, it's going to take it to places it shouldn't go. God placed constraints in the law to ensure man's natural tendencies didn't take justice further than was reasonable. Okay? So that's the first one. It protected people by limiting retribution. Second, it protected people by taking justice out of the hands of individuals and putting it in the hands of society as a whole. These laws that we just looked at, they weren't for individuals to extract. They were designed in principles for the community itself to extract. Only a ruling council, only appointed judges or a court could implement the penalties of the law that was given in the Old Testament in this regard. It wasn't intended for an offended individual to act on their own, thinking they have a green light to go take their neighbor's eye because he took theirs to go out on their own behalf in getting personal satisfaction or revenge for themselves. This was an important safeguard because human judgment is clouded when we've been offended. This is why laws like this even exist today, so that vigilante justice doesn't take over. You know, I've even learned in disputes with people as a pastor to give it time. Give it time before I respond, and don't respond just because of the way people are responding to me in that very moment, because I found that oftentimes after I have a chance to calm down and cool down, they think completely different than they did in the spur of the moment when they feel offended and they begin to respond. This is the idea here, that it wasn't for individuals to do because that could happen. So the law was intended for the community as a whole to enforce. And third, it protected people in society by deterring harmful criminal behaviors. It, it didn't let people off the hook, nor is Jesus, so you understand that. It didn't let people off the hook who engaged in wrong behaviors or in malicious acts that harmed other people. It prescribed very strong penalties. If you murdered someone, you were going to die. If you, if you hurt someone in some way physically, you were going to pay a similar price. But again, it placed justice in the hands of society as a whole and not in the hands of offended individuals themselves. So, back to Jesus and what he's talking about here. So nowhere in any of what Jesus is saying is he, is he removing this law and, and replacing it with a new concept. He wasn't at all challenging the idea of lex talionis that was contained in the Old Testament law in the society of his day or even in our world today. He wasn't changing the collective response to wrongs committed by people against people. God still uses and ordains organized societal law and authorities to protect people through measured responses to wrongs that are committed. That's the role and responsibility that God has given to human government, right? As Paul writes in Romans 13, verses 1 through 4. Romans 13, verse 1, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For it, there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinances of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers, now listen, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. 
for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Do you hear who is the avenger? It's not the individual. It's the appointed government. It's those in society that hold these roles. It's the judges, the law enforcement, the law of the land. It's these, and God has put those in place for the purpose of of dealing with offenses that have been committed against us by other people. But what Jesus was challenging in this was the wrong thinking. He was challenging the wrong thinking people had attached to these provisions. And he was making clear that this was not about how we as individuals are are free to treat each other, you see. How, How we as God's people personally respond to wrongs committed against us is a completely different matter altogether than the way society does it. And, and had people not cherry-picked Scripture to suit their own purposes, nothing's new under the sun. We love to do that too, right? To cherry-pick the verses that, that work for us and then to take them out of their context. But if they had not done that, they would have realized that this was the case even with the law of the Old Testament because God basically told them in Leviticus 19.18 the exact same thing that Jesus is now saying to them here in our passage in Luke and what he said to them in Matthew. Listen what he says there, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. You You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus hasn't changed a word. He hasn't changed a thing. He's expanding it in their minds of how it's to be lived out. God is clear in his word, Old Testament and new, that individuals, individuals were to leave justice in the hands of society as a whole, who he had ordained to enforce justice and not in the individual hands of his people to enforce it on their own. Is that making sense? Did you get it? Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.